Psalm 46, starting at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has wrought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen. Psalm, that uh, you would be uh, opening our minds and our hearts and helping us to put our trust in you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a great verse uh, which goes, Be still and know that I am God. Uh, it's a wonderful verse, isn't it? And it's the kind of verse that uh, you would often see perhaps on a Christian poster uh, with a very serene picture. Uh, in fact, I had planned to show you a beautiful photograph that I took of the sun setting over the ocean uh, on a beautiful clear day with the words, Be still and know that I am God. But I actually put it on the wrong file, so I'm not going to show it to you today. <laughs> The nine o'clock has got it. But uh, what does the verse mean? Uh, what does it mean to be still and know that, that God is God? Uh, for some people, it's kind of like, uh, some people have this view uh, that the way to get to know God is to sort of detox your brain and detox your heart of all the things that might be going on and just uh, have this kind of emptiness and somehow you're going to get to know God that way. Uh, Christian people, uh, we often think that it's uh, good just to uh, take time out, to uh, relax, to uh, smell the roses. Who's on holidays at the moment? Put your hand up. Enjoying this time of relaxing and just having that time to smell the roses and to reflect on the goodness of God and uh, so that there is this idea, and I think it's encaptured in those posters, that uh, you know that that's what it means to be still and know that God is God. But is that right? Uh, is that what the verse means? And how does the verse actually help us in our Christian lives on a day-to-day -day basis? That's the sort of topic that we're going to be looking at today. And if over the next few weeks, during this kind of time of the year when people are coming and going, uh, we're going to be looking at a few psalms because each psalm is a unit in itself and then we'll be starting a new series come the end of the, uh, the holidays and the beginning of the school term. The best way of understanding any verse, and a beautiful verse such as this one, is to look at it in its context of the passage that it's in. And this verse, of course, comes from Psalm 46. So can I ask you to have your Bibles open at Psalm 46, which you'll find on page 403 in those red pew Bibles. 
And it's a psalm which starts with a very confident statement about what God is like. Uh, We see that in verse 41 where it says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's great, isn't it? God is our refuge. We can be shielded uh, as we seek our refuge in God. God is strong and God is our ever-present help. He's able and he's willing to help us. And therefore, because of that, in verse 2, if we are people who trust in God, then we have no real reason to be fearful. Now, notice what it doesn't say. Uh, Does it say that if you trust in God that difficult things are not going to happen to you? It doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that if you're a person who trusts in God that when difficult things happen to you that you will be H-A-P-P-Y? doesn't say that, does it? What it does say in verses 2 and 3 is that when the hard things do happen that we have no good reason, no valid reason to be in despair. Now, what are some of the things which can cause people like us to sometimes maybe even be tempted to uh, despair a little bit. Uh, You know, when I think about our congregation and when I think about the last 12 months, uh, there's been some pretty difficult issues of sickness within the church and and that can uh, lead people to despair. Uh, There's been, you know, relationships which we wish were a little bit different to what they are and sometimes that can be a little bit despairing. Uh, There's been loneliness... Uh, there's been been grief. Uh, we've we've lost um, quite a number of our congregation members during the year, uh, godly people. And I guess you know you think sometimes well you wish you could control some of those things, but you can't. Um, there are things which are beyond our control. Things uh, in respect to which we are helpless. And so. It's in that context that uh, we seek to understand Psalm 46. Now, um, as uh, it was Andrew that read the passage, wasn't it? As Andrew said to us, Psalm 46 was written as a song. Uh, we are grateful to you, Andrew, for reading the passage to us rather than singing it to us. Um, that's good. Uh, Psalm 46 was written as a song and it was to be sung at the temple services. Uh, That's why, if you have a look at the first line, it says, for the director of music. Now, bear in mind that in the Psalms, when you see that information above verse 1, that that is part of the Hebrew text. I think in the Hebrew text, that would be verse 1. So it's not something which the NIV editors have put there. That's that's original. And uh, it is for the director of music. It's a song. Now, I'm always a bit um, cynical. From time to time, I'm watching TV and some ad comes on for a, you know, a CD and uh, they'll advertise the CD by saying, you know, this is uh, a collection of the greatest songs of all time, you know, or the greatest whatever kinds of all, all time. Have you seen ads like that on TV? And what they really mean is that here's a, here's a few songs that have 
that aren't half bad from the last 30 years. Uh, because they've got a very, very limited view on the whole concept of, you know, of all time. Um, Jews and Christians have been singing Psalm 46 for thousands of years. That's got to qualify as one of the greatest songs of all time, doesn't it? Uh, there are some great hymns that are based on this psalm. When they sung Psalm 46 thousands of years ago, what were some of the challenges that God's people faced? Well, the psalm itself tells us there were two dangers. Firstly, natural disasters like earthquakes. And secondly, their enemies, armies that wanted to destroy them. But the psalm says that God's people are not to fear those things. Um, have a look at verse 2. It says, We will not fear even though the earth gives way. And even if the mountains were to fall into the sea, whatever catastrophe you could dream of, we would not fear it. Natural disaster, foreign enemies invading us, you know, we wouldn't, whatever, whatever you can think of, we would not fear. Have a look at verse 8 and 9. In verse 8, it says, Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. You see what it's saying? If a nation is at war with God's people, then they're going to lose. Uh, God is the God who stops wars. God is the God who breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. In other words, God will defeat the enemies of his people. Now, that's a huge claim, isn't it? That is a really, really big thing to say. Let me show you another huge claim. Verses 4 to 6. Have a look at this. It says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Now, that is a description of the city of God. What is the city of God in the Old Testament? It is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And, and you know, from that description, it sounds, you know, what sort of a city is Jerusalem? It sounds like Jerusalem is a city which is like an impenetrable fortress. Uh, it, it is a city that the enemies of God could not break into. The mountains might collapse in a heap, but Jerusalem's going to stay the same. The enemies of God may attack, but they're not going to be able to get in. And, of course, great cities were often built on rivers, aren't they? And there's obvious reasons for that. They're built on rivers because rivers are good for transport, they're good for water supply and so on. And you see in verse 4, we're told about this city of God that there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. If this, this sounds like it would be one of the greatest cities of the ancient world, which is very strange because Jerusalem was nothing like that. Uh, there is no river that runs through the city of Jerusalem. There's a, there's a little stream that runs through it, but there's no river. And yes, Jerusalem was great for a while under the reign of Solomon, 
Uh, and check out verse 5. In verse 5 it says that God is with her and she will not fall. Well, is that true? Did, you know, is the city of Jerusalem a, a city that never fell to any enemy? Of course not. I mean, it's in 587 BC, the, the Babylonians uh, entered the city and they, they destroyed the city. They, uh, they slaughtered lots of people. They captured the rest and took them off into exile in Babylon. They wiped Jerusalem off the map. And so what are we to make of Psalm 46 then? What do we make of this, this bold claim, you know, this promise, you know, where Jerusalem clearly was destroyed and yet the Jews would keep on singing, God is our refuge and strength. God is our ever-present help in times of trouble. You know, uh, be still and know that I'm God. It doesn't seem to make much sense. And even today it doesn't make much sense either. Do you ever read those lists that people, organisations put out of, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the most livable cities in the world? Um, and, you know, the, see, I, I read them because my hometown, Sydney, always gets up there in the top ten doesn't it? It's always one of the top ten cities in the world. We've just got to knock off those Scandinavian cities and the Swiss cities and do something about Vancouver. I don't think that they take the rain into consideration when they evaluate Vancouver, but Sydney's always up there. You know where Jerusalem stands? Right down the bottom, number 122. It is actually... Istanbul is more livable than Jerusalem. You're better off living in Istanbul than living in Jerusalem. And a big factor, of course, is security. The bottom line is that Jerusalem is not a very safe place to live. It is not impenetrable. And so, does that mean that Psalm 46 is not true? Well, no, it doesn't mean that at all. When a promise in the Bible doesn't seem to match the reality, it's because the passage is pointing to a greater fulfilment and Psalm 46 is just like that uh, let me show you take a look at how God is described in Psalm 46 in verse 7 it says the Lord Almighty is with us the God of what does it say God of Jacob is our fortress verse 11 same thing the Lord Almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress now, why is God described as being the God of Jacob? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. One is, of course, that Jacob is their forefather. But there's an issue here in so much that Jacob was dead. Why would God be described as being the God of someone who is dead? Come with me to Matthew chapter 22 for a moment. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus was confronted by some Pharisees, uh, some, sorry, some Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were a religious group. One of their distinctives was that they did not believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in heaven and hell. And so they uh, came to Jesus with a trick question. Uh, they wanted to uh, trick him about this issue of resurrection. 
Listen to what Jesus said in uh, Matthew 22, verse 31. Jesus said to them, But about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. See what he's saying there? Jacob's bones might be buried in a tomb, but God is still his God because there is such a thing as resurrection. There is such a thing as afterlife. And so remember what Psalm 46 said about the city of God. It said that it is made glad by the river that flows through it, that the Lord God dwells in it, that there will be no warfare because the enemies of God have been defeated. What's it saying? Come with me to uh, Revelation chapter 22, right at the end of the Bible. In Revelation 22, listen to this description. <clears throat> Page 879. <clears throat> 879. Revelation 22, verses 1 to 5. Listen to this. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light." And they will reign forever and ever. So there is a description of the city. Have a look at chapter 21, verses 1 to 3. Then I saw a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Friends, this is a description of well, if this city was on the list of most livable cities, where would it be placed? It'd be right off the chart, wouldn't it? You know, it would blow every other city off the list entirely. This is the city which is not only livable, this is livable, more than livable, for all of eternity. This is heaven. This is where God dwells. This is where there is peace. And this is where we are nourished. It's the ultimate city. And this is a city that we, you and I, can enter because of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross for our sin. Friends, this is the city which Christians long for. This is the city which Psalm 46 points us towards. And so we come back to this question then of what therefore does it mean to be still? What does it mean to be still? 
and know that God is God. Go back to Psalm 46. Did you notice who wrote Psalm 46 in the psalm? Who wrote Psalm 46? Was it King David? Would you just say it was a psalmist? Who wrote Psalm 46? The sons of Korah. Who are the sons of Korah? Apart from being a pretty contemporary Christian band that uh, focuses, I think, on singing just putting psalms to great contemporary music. Uh, fantastic group, the Sons of Korah. Right? But who are these Sons of Korah? Well, um, firstly, uh, the original Sons of Korah were a family of musicians and singers who worked in the temple choir that King David had set up. Now, uh, they're called the Sons of Korah because they are descendants of Korah. Now, I've got to get this right. Korah, from my calculations, was their great, 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 great grandfather. Now, here's a test. Was Korah a good guy or a bad guy in the Bible? A bad guy. He was a bad guy. He was a rotter, actually. Uh, let me tell you about Korah. Korah uh, lived at the time of Moses and uh, you know, when Moses received the law from God and when uh, God uh, led uh, the people of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years, Korah was a leader amongst the Israelites but Korah was an ungodly man and uh, in Numbers chapter 16, you don't have to look this up, um, I'll read it out for you. In Numbers chapter 16, Korah led a rebellion against Moses. He was sick and tired of Moses imposing penalties for people breaching God's law. He was sick and tired of following Moses. And so he led a very serious rebellion against Moses and by implication against God. And so you, you don't rebel against God and think that there are no consequences. Uh, God punished Korah, and what's really interesting is the actual punishment, because this is what happened. God said to Moses, they're in a camp, okay? Uh, they're, they're living in the campsite. And God says to Moses, look, I want you to clear everyone in Israel away from the tents of Korah and his followers. Uh, Korah and his followers can stay in their tents, but clear everyone out of the vicinity because something's going to happen. Uh, let me read to you what happened. It's in Numbers chapter 16, verse 31. It says, As soon as Moses finished saying all of this, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their households and all Korah's men and all their possessions. They went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. That's wow. Can you imagine that? There's Korah and all his mates in their tents and suddenly the earth opens up underneath them. 
they fall into the earth and then the earth closes up and they're entombed and then they're, that's it. That's pretty dramatic stuff, isn't it? That's incredible. Well, not so for his descendants who were men who trusted God. The sons of Korah were able to sing, though the earth give way and though the mountains fall into the sea, we will not fear, we will not be swallowed up like our ancestor Korah was because God is not the one we rebel against. God is our refuge. God is our strength. We trust him. So the sons of Korah stand in stark contrast to their great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Now, how then does Psalm 46 help you and me? Well, firstly, obviously, it provides us with much, much more than just a nice verse for serene uh, photographs. Let me make just three points. Firstly, it points us to a day in the future when the earth actually will give way and the mountains will slide into the sea. Um, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us that one day the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Everything will be destroyed. Uh, the day of judgment will be like what happened to Korah and his mates, except on a universal scale. There will be a day when wars will cease, but it won't be through diplomacy. It will be because God forcibly causes wars to cease. And he does so through judgment. Secondly, and you need to think about this, can you think of another time in the Bible where God says, be still, apart from Psalm 46? Any other place in the Bible that springs to your mind where God says, be still? No? Okay, let me help you out then. Jesus, on a boat, a deadly storm, he spoke to the wind and the waves and what did he say? Be still. Now, and they obeyed. You know, this is, in, this is amazing because what it does is it tells us that Jesus is God, that he is the ruler of the world, but it also tells us that be still is not really just about taking time out to smell the roses or emptying your brain. To be, it, it's actually more like a rebuke. It's a command. It's a command to obey God, to obey Jesus and to put our trust in him. Because when we do that, we have no reason to fear judgment, do we? We know that he has paid for our sin. We know that he has prepared for us a beautiful, eternal city, the new Jerusalem. And so finally, because Jesus has done that, even when terrible things happen to us, we can experience a great peace. It's a peace which our world cannot understand and may even envy. But it's not about emptying our minds. It's not about detoxing our brains and our hearts so that we cannot feel pain. It's a peace which is based on what we know of God and what he promises about our future. 
um, all of us will suffer at various times and you may, you know, when you look back on 2010, there may be some suffering that you've gone through. You may be suffering even now. And in that context, Psalm 46 tells us to be still and know that God is God. To, 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 to stand firm on that knowledge of who he is. That he is the Lord of nature, that he is the Lord of history, that he has a plan, that he has an end point to which all of history is heading. You see, one day Jesus will call you home to a better home where there is no sickness, no loneliness, no conflict, no tears. And because we have that heavenly hope, we have the incentive and we have the capacity to persevere now, to keep on loving God, to keep on trusting Jesus because God is your eternal refuge and your strength and your ever-present help. So let's, um, let's pray now as we think on, on those things. Father, we thank you for Psalm 46. We thank you for the reality that we can know who you are. Father, we thank you that uh, you have prepared a future for those who trust in you. We thank you for that eternal city of Jerusalem that we long for. And we thank you that we can enter it because Jesus has died for our sins. And so, Father, we pray that you would en enable us uh, with that hope in mind to uh, keep on persevering through whatever uh, 2011 throws at us that we would be strong, that we would stand firm, that we would trust in you as our refuge and our strength. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.